0: Thanks, Jane. Well, morning, church. How are we all? Are we good? That's good. For those of you who are dedicated uh, readers, avid readers of our church um, newsletter, little bulletin that we put out for your information each week, you should read it. Uh, it tells you what's going on. You'll notice that I'm not Jeff Pugh. Um, <laughs> Sandy was actually, and he actually bumped into someone the other day, I won't say any names. No, they're not here, but so you know, do your own work. Uh, and they said, "Oh, we're so disappointed. We're not going to be here to see Jeff Pugh. You know, listen to him speak." And so says, "Oh, that's uh, that's all right. You won't miss him. He's not here. Mason's actually speaking." And they went, "Oh, good, <laughs> great. <laughs> it's all good." Um, I don't know what that is. Right. We we were out for tea the other night with uh, some, our old senior pastor from from Wodonga, Graham Smith. He he came and spoke uh, at my induction as associate pastor here. Just a jet, uh, great uh, minister, and we were just out for tea with him, having just I don't know sharing some time in there. And they kind of asked, like, "How long have you guys been been down in in Melbourne?" And we sort of, oh, I don't know." And then we worked out that yesterday, second of April. Is the third year anniversary of our our time here in in Chelsea. So we're starting. Yeah, yeah. You go tell that person who's not here because Jeff Pugh's not preaching. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's good. We've enjoyed it. Hey, um. Okay. Story time. Thought I'd start with a bit of a story this morning, and uh, it's kind of tenuously because I actually haven't run it past Sandy. And, and, and it's not my normal practice if, if you're going to be, if I'm going to mention you in my message or something like that, I normally ask permission, but I haven't on this occasion. What makes it a little, perhaps a little worse is that her mum and dad are actually here too, so we're just going to see how this goes, all right? So yeah. when I first started dating Sandy back in, yeah, now you're interested, aren't you? Like, ah. Oh. Her mum and dad are here. No one knows what's going on. He's going to tell a story about them dating. I wonder what's going to happen. I don't know myself. When when we first started dating back in the last century sometime, back in the 90s, um, I began a new kind of relationship with this person. But I also began a relationship with her family, you see. You know, they say if you can kind of get in good with the mum and the dad, then everything kind of goes smooth, makes things a a lot easier as as you go along. Uh, You know, befriend the potential mother-in-law and it, it should be all good. But you know what, I was a pretty kind of likeable sort of a guy, so no dramas, nothing to be concerned about here, all good. I remember when eventually I actually asked Sandy to marry me we was at the Pizza Hut. It was a well-thought-out, kind of spontaneous thing. That's another story. Talk to Sandy about it. Actually, it was her shout. It was, wasn't it? Because you invited me. Let's go out for tea. And I said, okay. And then, okay. She invited me out for tea. And I said, oh, sounds good. But now i got to thinking at work. I'm just going to ask you to marry me tonight. Anyway. Been think, we'd been talking about it. Don't think it was too crazy. Anyway, back to the story. She said, yes, it was, doesn't matter. That's another story. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll go back home. We had Bible study at the church that night, and we went to that, and Sandy's kind of sitting on it because we weren't telling anyone because we, had, we hadn't told Sandy's mum and dad. So I said, I'll go out to your mum and dad's house, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them uh, what, what's going on, and, and you kind of roll into town all casual a bit later on. And that, so I went out to Joan and Alan's, kind of a bit nervous, dumb look on my face, just kind of walked into the land room, and, and sort of sat there for a minute, just thinking to myself, how am I going to get this out? And and then Alan, I think he kind of says, "So what have you been up to, Mason?" <laughs> Where's Sandy? And I so sort I of said, "You know, uh, funny you should ask. That's a good question. I've just I've come out here to let you know that I asked Sandy to marry me tonight, and you know what? She she said yes." And Alan just sort of shifted in his chair And I'm pretty confident he looked at Joan But he did it that quick that I didn't see it And he sort of looked back at me and he said So you asking me or telling me? (laughs) I sort of went, this is going where I wanted it to I said, well, I, I I think I'm telling you Did you see? But you know what? It went okay, that was good They were like, oh yeah, fine, good So anyway, Sandy comes out to the house and I run to the door and I say to Sandy, I haven't told them. I I don't know what to say. I don't know how to get out. Your dad's a scary guy. Like, I don't know what to do. She's looking at me going, why did I say yes to you, you moron? <laughs> so she kind of walks in, you know, like, oh, I'm going to hold my room and walks in and, and sort of sits down. And here we all are, sitting in the lounge room for about 30 seconds. Not, everyone waiting for someone else to say something and just kind of kind of break this moment. And I think Jane's like, well, Sandy, do you have something to tell us? <laughs> Probably not quite like that, but something like that. And uh, yes, she did. And uh, there it was, and, and it was a great moment. And I kind of lived through that. And uh, they, all, they all forgave me for, for that. And uh, as you can see, they still come and visit. And Sandy said, yeah, okay. And here we are 20 years later. Still married, still still together. But, yeah, yeah, trust me, clap me. But here's the thing. That's just a story to get you into a point. In between when I first uh, started dating Sandy, in between when I first started to getting to know her family, and even before that, and the moment when we said, yeah, like we want to share life together, and even after that, I was introduced to the normative rhythms of their life. I got got to kind of know the way they did life, how how they practiced life. And one of the deep values that I encountered when I got to know this family was that they practiced hospitality. And it wasn't that they merely hosted lots of meals, you know, had these fancy meals at their house where they brought out the best cutlery or that they had a high rotation of people through their house for tea and coffee. It was that they actually... In intentionally, almost without even thinking about it, made space in their lives, built into the normative behavior of their lives to be uh, inconvenienced in italics by the stranger, by the alien, by the visitor, but by the person that they, they didn't even know, of which at that time, like when they first met me, I was one. They probably should have done a bit better screening on, what they, on how they did hospitality. I kind of got through, but... They intentionally planned each week to make themselves available, to be occupied by someone, to be present with them. Anyone who kind of needed rest, anyone who kind of needed somewhere to go for the weekend, anyone who needed a bit of shelter, if you like, a family environment. Their house was like a drop-in centre. And any given Sunday, not every Sunday, but I'll tell you what, you could go out there and you would expect to find some stranger, some family member, just some random sitting at their table sharing a meal with them. The house was open to anyone. And you name it, you could find them there. Army apprentices, uh, uni students, anyone. And no one ever felt like, They were actually part of a process. No one ever felt like they were inconveniencing them or part of a duty. All felt welcome. They all felt like they could rest and be themselves, refuel and and, and kind of reset for the journey ahead or whatever the day had in front of them. Now I was reflecting on this, Or as I started to write this sermon about what is practicing hospitality, I just thought to myself, I have, I've seen it and witnessed it for the last 20 odd years. What an amazing thing. Biblical hospitality. Hospitality, gospel-driven hospitality, is not merely about entertaining friends and acquaintances, a biblical hospitality is a well thought out, intentional, planned provision of an environment of rest, an environment of provision, a space, if you like, of relational presence and concern for the welfare of others, where people can find all they need to be transformed and healed into people who encounter God in that in that in that space, and then, and it can be kind of open to transformation and to following Jesus and to cease being strangers to God. That's the goal of hospitality, of biblical hospitality, to, to, to bring people into an encounter of what God's people are like and, and how they relate. And in that, you see a reflection of the heart of God. It's about providing space for people to see the generous heart of God at work in his people, in his church in those who say they've encountered him. I'm a Christian today, no, due to no small part, by another man, Raditra Brook, five years, World War II, behind enemy lines, tough man, but opened his house to just a rebel of a, of a young man, destructive. Opened his house, come in, eat, share my hospitality. Now, hospitality wasn't invented by Christians. We can't. Every culture has practiced it. And, and and even every culture has expected it in some way. However, most cultures—you look through them—Egyptian, Greek, Roman cultures around the world—it is a sacred duty to be performed. But it's it, it, it's a duty, and it comes out of fear or reward. That's how that's why and how they practice it. If you if you hospitable in this life, you can expect a better afterlife sort of thing. Uh, If you're hospitable, who knows, because the gods sometimes walk amongst us and you might be entertaining one of the gods. And if you don't do a good job of it, well, you know, he just might just wipe you out. And even in the Bible, you know, we read that some have provided hospitality and have even entertained angels. You know, you read that in Hebrews 13 there. But duty, fear and reward are not the motives of Christian biblical a gospel based hospitality experience is. Encountered grace is. That's what motivates biblical hospitality. That we have encountered a God of hospitality and He's not looking for, to, to, for us to kind of earn anything or, or seek reward. Right out of the gate. The Christian Church has practiced this kind of hospitality, that is not about kind of just merely entertaining friends, but serving and meeting the needs of strangers and those who are unknown to us, uh, but maybe share a common mission because we ourselves have experienced uh, hospitality. Paul says in Romans twelve thirteen, you know, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then the writer of Hebrews, which you just mentioned a little bit before, writing to a persecuted church, says, Let brotherly love continue. Let the love amongst you continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You know, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And Peter, writing to the church about being good stewards of God's grace to them, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do, it's not begrudging. It's not a duty. It's something you do as a response. The Apostle John writing to his good friend Gaius about the kind of treatment that, that, that he gave to people that were not personally known to him. He says, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing. For the brothers and sisters, even though they are, not, even though they are strangers to you, you, you guys, you provided hospitality for people who were in need, you see. Hospitality is in the DNA of the church. And its practice uh, is not merely done out of, out of duty or seeking reward. It is not merely done because the church kind of looked around and saw a need uh, within the church and without the church. But rather, hospitality flows out of the DNA of God. Flows out of the very heart of God. And we are all recipients of His hospitality, of His hospitable acts. His intentional making space and an environment in which we can find refuge for our weary souls. The shade of the cross is the great hospitality of God. Hospitality, while not the gospel, is certainly a natural symptom of its transforming power. And as Jane said, you know, we've been working through some values here that are core to us, that underpin uh, and drive the redemptive culture of this family, of this spiritual home we call freeway. And this morning we're looking at this value of practicing hospitality. And I just want to demonstrate why we're just going to look at kind of just a couple of things of why uh, hospitality is part of the DNA of God's people. And what I want to say is it is because it, it, it begins with God. Hospitality has its origin in God. Hospitality was also uh, modeled and, and demonstrated by Jesus when he came and the church is to therefore practice Hospitality. You know, if we go back to the very start of the Bible, Genesis 1-2, and we read what's going on there, the creation account, we discern the first activity of God is is this act of hospitality. Consider what God did when he created the world, the Garden of Eden, for humanity to live in. He gave Adam and Eve everything they need to enjoy life restfully while doing the work he created for them. He gave them a space to exist in, to enjoy creation and to enjoy each other and to, in that environment, in that great environment, to have fellowship with him, to know him, to resource the lives and everything they did out of him. That was the, the whole point. They were given both space and capability to create, to work and to exercise authority with all the resources necessary. This is God's gift to us. He's generous God. In creation, God was inviting us into his presence to enjoy his provisions and his goodness so that we might live well. God is a God of divine hospitality, deeply relational. He desires to be present with us, to share life with us and to equip us with all that we need to live to our joy. That's the original picture. That's our original home. That's the environment we were were placed into. In Genesis 3, though, we read how we treated God's hospitality. We're impatient. We choose to eat alone and reject God's hospitality. This is the great blasphemy. This is the great vandalism of God's home that God has given us. like a bunch of kind of ungrateful squatters. We have trashed his home. Great relational death and the beginning of humanity's self consumed existence, where we become strangers to God and no longer sit around His table. We'd rather throw His food at the walls now than dine with Him. But God does not push away from the table, He remains there and He sends out invitations to come back. God makes new provisions. Human history is the history of God welcoming the strangers, those who are estranged to him and even enemies to him back to his table to encounter his hospitality and to experience his goodness. He calls out of this broken world a people to whom he will once again be their God and they will be his people. And out of that relationship, others would see what it's like to live a life when it's hosted by God. To share life with God. Genesis 12, we read there that God calls just Abraham, Sarah. And he creates a a nation out of these people. And these people are blessed by God to be a blessing to all other nations. This is the story coming through the Old Testament. And then God gives to these people, this, this people that we see growing through the Old Testament... All the resources and capabilities to mirror his heart to people and exercise hospitality. But not kind of before they've been through their own experience of being aliens, of being slaves, of being oppressed, of being refugees. But God is always with them and the promise is always before them of God's presence and his provision. And then what we see, you know, as they come out of Egypt and then through the desert and into the land that God had originally promised them, we see a new Eden of types. Not the same, but of types. And God provides these people with land. And the whole description is land for them to rest in, land for them to find peace in, refuge, shelter, where they can experience life with him, enabling them to do all that God created them to do. This land, this promised land, this Israel that God has given to them, It's a welcoming into a new home to do life with God. It is the space that God has made for them to encounter him and for God's people then in that space to show the hospitality of God to the nations around. You know, you you will be a light to the nations, a blessing to all nations. This is the plan. God provides them also not just with land, not just with a space, but he provides them with the law. He gives Moses the Ten Commandments and the law. And the law is a beautiful thing. It's a good thing because it instructs us on how to live before God and how to treat others. And then written into this law is the practicing of hospitality. In Leviticus 19.34 we read, "...you shall treat the stranger and the sojourner, the one who, who isn't native but comes into your land and lives there with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself." For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And this is how, as, as, as my people, you are to entertain and treat people. In Deuteronomy ten nineteen, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You know, as you, as you, as you came out of slavery and as you walked through the desert, who was it that met Your needs. Who was it that fed and clothed, and was the hospitable God to you as you journeyed with nothing? Was it not me? Written into their law is this command: When you reap the harvest from your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Nor shall you gather up. So, if you've ever seen them bale hay, and that they can't get right close to the fence sometimes, and The greedy will come around and swoop it up. But what God says is those bits that you missed when you were harvesting, they are to stay there because they are to be the provision of the poor and the needy and the person traveling. And when you glean the things that drop to the ground, the things that you didn't get, you're not to go back over and sweep them all up. They are there to be a provision for the needy. I am the Lord your God. You're to be a people... Of hospitality because I am a God of hospitality. Because I am the Lord your God, and because I have extended hospitality to you, even though you are strangers to me, even though you are rebels towards me, I make space for you to experience my goodness. You are to demonstrate that experience in your own normal rhythms of life. You are kind of write them into your life and practice them. It's interesting. I found this really interesting. God has written into their their way of life this kind of sacrificial hospitality so that when he moves towards them, God knows he's coming towards them in Jesus. And he's written into their practice of life the very law that will accommodate the welcoming of Jesus into their midst so that they might encounter him, so that they might hear what he's got to say. You see, Jesus is the sojourner, the penniless preacher with nowhere to stay. He needs hospitality. You see, is that, don't you think that's incredible? I do. But Israel struggled with this concept of hospitality because we're sinful. I don't know if you can remember back to when we looked at the book of Ruth. Remember the book of Ruth and how we encountered this guy, Boaz. Living in this culture where these laws of hospitality exist and Israel are doing them poorly, but there's this one dude, Boaz, who is a figure of a redeemer, one who saves, one who provides refuge, one who, who, who provides hospitality. And Ruth, Ruth the widow, the, the stranger and the alien who's coming back from Moab, who's coming back to the house of God, Bethel, where she should find hospitality. There's none there apart from Boaz... She encounters the law of God as it should be. She encounters divine hospitality under Boaz, who doesn't glean from the edge of his fields, who leaves stuff for the alien. And isn't it interesting The Boaz, who provides hospitality of Ruth, through that Ruth then is woven into the story, the redemptive story of God, and into the... uh, The family tree of Jesus. And Jesus himself exists because of the hospitality of one man. I think that's interesting. Boaz, this typological figure of what hospitality of God looks like. But you know, Jesus is the ultimate modeler and uh, example of what hospitality should look like. When Jesus walks on to the stage of human history, he's the stranger. He, he's the alien. As I said, he's the one to whom hospitality is meant to be exercised. You know, He's this journeying preacher, this journeying rabbi who everyone is meant to be opening their homes to and inviting in and, and giving hospitality. That was the culture. But here's what John tells us. He was in the world... And the world was made, and though the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man or flesh, but of God. And John tells us that Jesus came into the world, and the world roundly rejected him. The world was not had no hospitality for for its God. Jesus comes into the world to invite us back to fellowship with God. This is God's big play. I will bring them back around my table. And he calls the weary to himself. He feeds the hungry. He mends the broken. Eats with sinners. Eats with tax collectors, the despised. Washes the feet of the disciple. And ultimately gives his life to cleanse us from the very sin that makes us enemies of God that will not allow us to sit around his table, to deal with our unbelief and provide a way for us to come back into relationship with God. This is what Jesus is doing. And I wish I wish I had the time to walk you through how, how Jesus is God's agent of hospitality back in his vandalized home, back in the world that he created, vandalized by our Sin and he's come back in to invite people back around his table, and if you walk particularly through John's Gospel, what you see is Jesus kind of flipping everything on his head and becoming the host, because no one will host him. In Jesus, the DNA of God's hospitality is once again on display. It's no small thing that that Jesus that every time Jesus goes in to eat somewhere, as I said, he becomes the host. He takes over. A great deal of His parables and His teachings are of banquets, are of rest, are of renewal, of a deep experience of grace that, is, that He has come to provide to us. Through Jesus, God is making space for us to once again experience His hospitality, to once again sit at His table. It is so fascinating. Jesus goes into the homes of these people and they're supposed to host Him, but... He becomes the host. Think of that, I think, like the time where, um, the one time that a Pharisee invites Jesus to his house, like he's, he's going to check this Jesus out, Simon. And Jesus is there and, and this sinful woman comes into this space and they're like, get her out of here. But Jesus goes, no way. This is who I've come to invite into these homes. This sinful woman, and she washes his feet with her hair and her tears and alabaster box and... This is what we see Jesus doing. Jesus lives, loves, obeys the Father, works, dies and rises again that we might find a place of rest and renewal. He offers us rest in order to send us on our way and offer to send us back out as God's agents, as God's ambassadors. People offering ourselves hospitality to others. Rescue we are, rescued to offer rest and places of hospitality to others. Jesus saves us to be his hospitable people. He is the host making space for us and providing grace for us that in that encounter, in that experience, we then in turn are hospitable people, you see. Now, as I said, hospitality is not the gospel the gospel is that a loving God has died for our sin and brought us back into a relationship with him. But a symptom of that is that we would be hospitable people, not self-consumed people. You know what? Even in eternity, even even in when all this is gone uh, and God has renewed the whole world, I don't know what he's going to do with Woolworths, but who knows? And we are there once again with God. And in Revelation twenty-one, three to four, here's this God will dwell with his people. He is once again amongst us. The great host sits with us. And the images of it being a banquet, of sitting around this table in, in heaven, this imagery of God hosting us at this great banquet. And then in Luke twelve thirty seven, we see that, that God has invited us to this banquet table to enjoy his presence. Who is the one dressed as a waiter? Who is the servant with the towel over his arm who comes to serve you at your table? The master of the house, Jesus, the host. He he, he demonstrates what hospitality is. This is our God. He's a God who, who, who serves us, who is hospitable to us. And then out of that encounter, we respond. We're not doing it out of fear. We're not doing it to seek reward. It's not begrudging. It's relational. That's why we practice it. That's why it's a value. The gospel isn't only about loving and forgiving sinners like it's an event. Like, oh, you invited Jesus into your life. Awesome. Now you just have to wait for him to return. Great stuff. No. It's also about restoring broken and marred people into healed and whole people who grow up to be imitators of Jesus, restored image bearers of God, and they need a place to do that. They need a space in which that happens. It does not happen in splendid isolation. It happens in community. Jesus created space for people to be and to become. Gospel hospitality implies creating space for people to be known, to be real, to be loved. We talked about this last week, uh, relational authenticity. And ultimately, in that space, to be led by the Spirit of God to healing and wholeness through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, to be transformed in Him. We are to create space for people to be led toward healing and wholeness, to be led towards a saving faith in Christ. That's that's, that's, one of our deep, that's what this place should be. That's what, that's what Jesus calls us to, the practicing of hospitality, of making space in the normal rhythms of our life for people to encounter not just some light entertainment, but for people to encounter the very heart of our God in our lounge rooms, in our church foyers, in our cars, wherever it is. And not because it's a begrudging duty, but because we ourselves have encountered the divine and great hospitality of God. The provision of the cross in which we all rest. Hospitality. It's the making, it's the intentional, sacrificial making of space in all our environments, here, at home, wherever. So, and, and we've got to cultivate it. We've got to make it a natural rhythm of our church life and our lives that all who encounter Freeway Baptist Church encounter the hospitality of God amongst these people.